Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's May 25th, 1868. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. To herald the arrival of a team of Aussie cricketers who began their tour of England on this day in 1868, the Daily Telegraph said of Australia that nothing of interest comes from there except gold nuggets and black cricketers, because, perhaps surprisingly, the first ever organised group of Australian sports people to represent the country overseas was a team entirely composed of Indigenous Australians. And so successful was this tour... That when the white team actually arrived a decade later at Nottingham for their first match, locals were confused because they'd expected the players to be black. It is actually quite astonishing that Europeans and Aboriginal people were playing cricket together at all. And the explanation for that is that these teams sprung up on the cattle stations of Western Victoria, which at the time was extremely sparsely populated, and where European ranchers were a bit more willing to include local cattle hands and labourers on the team. And a lot of the credit has to go to a particular guy called Tom Wills, who was born in Australia in 1835 and actually was educated over in England at, uh, at the prestigious rugby school. And then he went back home to Australia and worked on the ranches in his father's Western Victorian property, where he formed childhood friendships with uh, local Aboriginal children of the Yadwajali, Gudmanjara and Wachabalik clans from the areas around. And he played a lot of cricket with these Aboriginal children and he also played a game that came to become the sort of foundation for Australian rules football, which he is credited as having co-invented. But he then became fluent in their languages, and on returning from his schooling in England in 1856, he then became one of the very best cricketers in Australia throughout the 1870s. But then his family had this fascinating run-in that he really could have responded to in an absolutely different way to how he did. Yeah, I mean, Runnin is putting it mildly. His father was mm. killed along with 18 other people in an uprising by local Indigenous people in 1861. And Tom Wills was actually there at the time. He was just absent from the camp. They were attacked while they were out camping in the bush. So he came back to find this you know, horrifying massacre. Apparently it arose from sort of a misunderstanding in that another local white settler had killed some Indigenous men and this was a reprisal, but it was sort of targeting the wrong person. And of course, we're being sympathetic here to Wills on a purely human level level, but worth noting at this point that overwhelmingly, violence in Australia's colonisation was initiated by white settlers with indigenous people as the victims. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, just five years later, Melbourne Cricket Club offered Wills a position to coach an Aboriginal team that they wanted to play them for a Boxing Day exhibition match, kind of a novelty. And he accepted, and there's no account that has survived of exactly what his thoughts and feelings were. You know, he must have felt so conflicted, given that he had formed all these friendships with Aboriginal people growing up 
up and he knew their culture and their language quite well. And then this horrifying personal tragedy that had befallen his family must have given rise to some pretty complex emotions. But for whatever reason, he said yes, and he was able to coach them to a really high standard. And as their prowess grew, they started drawing bigger and bigger crowds. And from uh, 1866 to 67, they toured around New South Wales and also over 8,000 people turn up to a match at the Melbourne Cricket Club. And Bell's Life in Victoria, this publication, said, seldom has a match created more excitement and never within our recollection has a match given rise to so much feeling on behalf of the spectators. And I suspect there was a feeling amid all the tumultuous difficulties of the time that here was a potential way that two groups of peoples could come together in in some form of albeit limited reconciliation. And certainly that goes on to be a thread that exists throughout the Aboriginal team's tour of England as well. Yes, but there was also a colonialist way of looking at this Aboriginal team when they came to England, which was essentially, look, this is proof that the empire is civilising the natives. You know, Mm. we've taken our classic English game of cricket, even though actually the origins of cricket possibly evolved from games in France and the Netherlands as well, Um, And, you know, through our kind of public school system of fair play and learning the rules, these people with different coloured skin have come over from the other side of the world and we'll all go and see them as not an example of different races living in harmony, but of the empire going to places where indigenous people live and teaching them how to be good Englishmen. Yes, definitely. And if you look at the Times report of the first match, they say, having been brought up in the bush to agricultural pursuits under European settlers, they are perfectly civilised and are quite familiar with the English language. So already there's this great deal of ignorance about Indigenous people themselves. And I think definitely curiosity was part of the reason that people turned up to see these matches. Yeah, you can tell because so many of the accounts give really lengthy descriptions of what they look like, not least because in 1859, Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species sort of used the indigenous people in Australia as an example of a race that was going to die out. And so because of this, many people in the crowd would have been thinking this could be their last opportunity to see what these people look like. And following on from the Times account, the Daily Telegraph was equally astonished to find that, quote, although several of them are native bushmen at all are as black as night, these Indian fellows are to all intents and purposes clothed and in their right minds. So they'd set the barrier quite low. (laughs) But, you know, what we would call kind of grudging approbation. Yeah, the bar was set similarly low in the sporting life who viewed a demonstration of their skills at Town Malling in Kent, which was the first appointment on their touring schedule. How weird to have come from (laughs) Melbourne and ended up in Town Malling after months on a boat. The sporting life wrote that they gave, quote, great satisfaction to a critical coterie of spectators, people who just didn't believe they could play cricket at all. Quote, they are the first Australian natives who have visited this country on such a novel expedition, but it must not be inferred that they are savages. Yeah, I mean, they also were hugely successful. They won 14 games, they lost another 14, and 19 were drawn. So given that they were also on this incredibly rigorous schedule where they played 99 days out of a possible 126, and they were also being asked to do all of these other things alongside the actual playing of cricket. Oh, can we talk about that? Because actually I know that it has a sort of unpleasant colonial vibe now 
but if cricket was like this, I would go and watch it. So explain what they did as well as play cricket. So on the first day, what would normally happen was that they would play cricket. And then on the second day, they would demonstrate some of their native pursuits. So, you know, they would exhibit with the boomerang. They'd do spear throwing. So there was one who was nicknamed Jimmy Mosquito. And his specialty was using a stock whip, as would have been used on a cattle station, to flick a coin off a teammate's hand. Wow. I'd prefer it between rounds than between days. I mean, that is the problem with cricket, though, isn't it? Like, if you could pause <laughs> yeah, the game for five minutes to have a boomerang demonstration, it would perk everybody up. And maybe then just not start the game again. <laughs> just... <laughs> we should say that this tour was the brainchild of a chap called Charles Lawrence, who was an expat and a former first-class cricketer himself, who'd basically had to bung these guys on the boat. Not necessarily because they resisted coming to Britain, because they would have been treated quite racistly in Australia as well. But because um, the authorities in Australia, including the Central Board for the Protection of Aborigines in Victoria, weren't convinced that it was a good idea for them to come because on a previous tour of Sydney that we mentioned, two of them had died from pneumonia. So you can imagine how they feared the English weather. And as it turned out, 1868 had quite a pleasant summer. Um, But one of the players, King Cole, did die on the 24th of June, apparently of tuberculosis and pneumonia. So it was an intensely gruelling thing to go through. Regardless, they really did acquit themselves on the cricket pitch. And the most successful player, Una Raman, scored 1,670 runs at an average of 23.89 runs and took 245 wickets. Again, over the course of like 99 days of playing out of 126. So they were like, there was this cracking pace and he was performing the whole way through. The great English cricketer W.G. Grace was so impressed, particularly by Una Raman and one of the other players, Yelena, uh, that he said that they had conspicuous skills at the game. So this wasn't just a team of lightweights. Yeah, and even if there was an side to some of the way they were treated at York for example they were banned from the lunch tent it probably did advance the cause of native peoples in this country um, because it was for example to give a comparison not until 1895 that black people from the West Indies were permitted to be included in any competitive match of cricket I think the fact that these aboriginal people had come to England and played as was the way then because of who was in the teams literally played the establishment on their own turf Mm. was helpful you know at Lords they were playing a team that included a viscount an earl a lieutenant colonel and a captain (laughs) And it created the first indigenous cricketing stars in Australia because on their return, although the majority of the original 11 returned to relatively obscure lives as farm labourers and stockmen, a couple of them would go on to play professional cricket. So the star bowler, a guy who was nicknamed Twopenny, would become the first indigenous Australian to play top-level cricket. He played for New South Wales against Victoria in February 1870. And the great all-rounder Johnny Muller was called the Aboriginal W.G. Grace on his return. And he ended up being the first person person to be offered a slot on a state level team although he fell ill before he could play a top level match so you know it wasn't just a novelty 11 it really they became the first aboriginal cricket stars in australian history Unfortunately, there have only been four Indigenous Australians that have played Test cricket for Australia. Jason Gillespie and Scott Boland in the men's game and Ashley Gardner and Faith Thomas in the women's. But I think it is important to mention at this stage that of all the times that we and you have met our great sporting nations, there have been 72 series played of the Ashes between us and Australia is currently leading on 34 series wins Against your 32. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's enough sporting history from you, (laughs) Australian. Time to give us a boomerang demonstration. (laughs) And you should see my whip-cracking abilities. (laughs) Tomorrow. He appeared astonished by mirrors and candles. He was overwhelmed by loud noises. 
Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.